The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. And in Aaron, basically, we help companies create strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. Unfortunately, most organizations only spend about 2% of their time uh, or about 40 leadership hours per year building an effective strategy. Now, I don't know about you two, but I think that's pretty crazy. Don't you agree? For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That's why organizations call us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but we facilitate your teams with proven practices. Harvard research shows that when you focus on the right key performance indicators, you can actually triple your likelihood of success. And who wouldn't want that? So please uh, email us today if you'd like more information at catch at 40strategy.com or go to our website at 40strategy.com. Before we introduce our guests, I'd like to say a thank you to Terry Polyak from Insperity. He's the one who connected uh, both of us. He does a wonderful job uh, up in the Seattle region, um, helping organizations find the right type of uh, healthcare and administrative practices and payroll to help make things are more effective. And from there, I'd like to introduce our two guests who are with us today. Uh, the first one that you could see there with the Vanna White background, which I love, um, is Anne <laughs> Jarris. She is the co-founder and CEO for Discovery Health MD, based in Seattle. Uh, she has degrees from Dartmouth from the Mayo Medical School and uh, earned her residency at the University of Arizona. She also has uh, earned an MBA from Seattle University, which is where they are. Uh, both of our guests met each other uh, many a few moons ago, and uh, in. She's also been an ER physician for over 15 years. Um, in January of 2017, she opened Discovery Health MD. You're also the CEO for MD Solutions International Telemedicine. You've been a large contributor to maritime services, telemedicine, and risk management, and more recently has been a large contributor for COVID-19 in the industry and in Washington and Alaska. So we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. Erin uh, Graham Cabin is the CEO for Discovery Health. She earned her MBA at Seattle University and has a bachelor from the University of Central Florida. Uh, you also started out with managing in the performance arts industry, which is really neat and special. In 2017, you, uh, sorry, 2007, you started a consulting firm for communication, marketing, and IT for small to mid-sized nonprofits. You were an operational director at Trinan, and you joined Discovery Health in December of 2017. Welcome. I'm, I'm so excited to have both of you on. Well, I, I think we're both us. excited to be here. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this is our first uh, 
tag team, so to speak. We have two people, uh, Ann and Aaron. I'm so excited. They both agree. They're super busy right now. They even gave me a, an ounce of time. I'm extraordinarily grateful. Um, so let's start with, and I loved it when I asked in the pre-part, what is top of mind for you? Uh, actually, before we go to that, because that's just going to head us down a path. Wh- why don't you tell me a little bit more, uh, Ann, about Discovery Health MD for, for our audience? Sure. So, uh, you know, this company was a culmination of uh, a lot of things that came together. Um, Discovery Health MD was the cap- my capstone project for my MBA. Uh, we founded the company, my late husband and I. Um, I was an emergency medicine physician, a lot of interest in telemedicine and remote medicine, um, really trying to work within the healthcare system to, uh, to improve access. And uh, when I met my late husband, he uh, had similar interests and goals and was very involved in the maritime industry. So it became a perfect application uh, for the work that I had been doing. Um, and so we started the company. We incorporated in 2016, got our first clients in 2017. Um, and Aaron came on at the end of 2017 um, and was just an amazing addition to the company. She really understood what Ray and I were trying to accomplish uh, intuitively. Uh, so when Ray passed away in March, or sorry, April of 2018, Aaron was able to step in and, and keep us going and, and really build on that legacy. Wow. And uh, that, that's uh, amazing, incredible that uh, you went through that. My condolences, of course, of going through those challenges uh, that had taken place. Um, Aaron, any additional things that you'd like to add that from, from what, what your organization does from your perspective? Um. Not really, other than I like to make sure that um, Anne's work is recognized without her vision and ability to see farther down the path than any of any of us have been able to see, especially once we start talking about COVID. Um, her vision and her leadership is really what is catapulting this company forward right now. Wow. So, so, all right. So top of mind. And I loved it in the pre part. We, we were just like, <laughs> what do you think is on the top of our mind? So, so and why don't you start out? What, what, what is top of mind right now? What's, what's going on? Well, uh, yeah, for the past year, I don't think I've thought of anything but COVID. So I'm not sure how we get ourselves out of that and start thinking of other things, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, it's been, it's been COVID for a year. Um, and right now we're all about vaccinations. There's a light at the end of this tunnel and uh, we, we want to get ourselves to that point. And, and so how are you how are you going about uh, supporting the vaccinations? Where are you doing it? Where is your current focus of getting that done? Yeah, this has been quite an education. Um, you, you know, we've never we've never done this before. Uh, pandemic response is something that has only been theoretical. So this has been a great education of learning how to navigate the, the governmental systems, the procurement systems, the documentation systems. Uh, it's really an enormous logistical challenge, which is something that uh, I, I've found very interesting and, and uh, a, a great challenge to try to surmount. So uh, we're currently uh, registered vaccine providers in both Washington and Alaska. Um, we're obviously constrained by a lack of vaccines, by geographical limitations on where you can transport vaccines, and then by eligibility of who's allowed to get it. So we've been working you know, really since December to try and get access to vaccine and get as many people vaccinated as possible. So let's talk about that uh, that part that I don't think is discussed. Um, it, it's, and I, I'm going to put an analogy a lot of times. There, there's enough food in the world to feed everybody, but we can't get it to everybody, right? Um, so it sounds like there's a, a bit of the same issue here with vaccinations. I mean, obviously, we, there isn't enough yet. So there, that's one issue. But you talked about something that's not typically con- considered 
is actually being able to transport it and get it to somewhere. Explain, explain the listeners what, what those real challenges are. And this will change as, as other vaccines become available. But the, the two initial ones, the Pfizer and Moderna, uh, these mRNA vaccines are really uh, delicate. If you look at mRNA funny, it falls apart. So the whole ultra cold storage transport um, was an infrastructure that was built specifically for these vaccines. Um, so when you get them, you have to be very careful about monitoring temperature, making sure that you stay within certain parameters. And we're only allowed to transport them an hour from our um, our home office. So you're really very limited geographically with these vaccines. Wow, I did not realize that. That it literally only has a one hour transport. And then with that, it has to stay in the cold storage, I'm assuming, up to- Yeah, correct. Yeah, it has to, you have to get approved uh, transport containers with data logging thermometers and you have to submit to the state for approval to move it before you're allowed to do it. So it's very, very highly controlled. That'll change as Johnson and Johnson and other vaccines come out that aren't so uh, um, potentially unstable. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I was actually with a matter of fact of the client I was I was down with and um, recently in a different state. They were they had the J and J vaccine being delivered to their company, and and um, so but they you wouldn't be able to do that often, right? With with this new vaccine, right? Be able to actually get to that type of delivery. Is that correct? We'll, we'll get we'll get there. Um, and things are changing rapidly. So really, every week, it's a different situation. Um, but uh, that's sort of been the past year. Has yeah. there been this um, constraints, constraints based management has been, um, you know, uh, supply chains have been severely disrupted. You know, initially, we were having trouble getting PPE and trouble getting swabs and trouble getting lab reagents. So this is just the next step in the in the scarcity uh, of the past year. Wow. Yeah. So how. Um... If you're going to be able to give vaccines in, in Alaska, how do you go about doing that with when you're based in the Seattle area? Uh, that that's that was has been tough. So uh, we're only in we have a one clinic up in um, in remote Alaska that we're, we've uh, dedicated for the fishing industry specifically. So we did had to go about you know getting approval from Alaska to become registered vaccine providers, getting uh, onto their their platforms, ordering through them. Um, and that's again been an interesting political. Uh, dance to work with all the various entities. Uh, so again, very geographically limited um, and a very limited application. Wow, wow. Uh, one, one of the, for the listeners, and and um, it, it's interesting. We, one of the common connections we had or learned about is that you've been serving Foss Maritime, who's one of the large, uh, you know, maritime and tugboat. My mom actually worked in the tugboat industry <laughs> for Foss, so it's kind of interesting to see that connection. So what about that part, right? You have people some of the biggest challenges has been shipping, right? And somebody gets COVID or gets sick in the middle of the ocean. So first of all, you, you are already helping and doing telemedicine, right? For, for the maritime industry. What has happened when there is this, you know, people have been stuck in a boat because the people won't let them into port. It's not as much that happening right now, but that was happening, right? For a period of time. Give me some insight of that, that just real challenges of how do you deal with these really unique circumstances of, 20 to 100 people or perhaps thousands of people on a boat and they're stuck. Erin, do you want to kind of talk about how we first found out about COVID? Yeah, that's probably so we've been involved in COVID since way before it hit the United States because one of our clients runs oil tankers um, to China. And they gave us a call in January of 2020 asking for support of protocols that naturally led out into supporting the Seattle-based Alaska fishing industry. 
um, with helping them set out protocols, helping them um, prepare to respond to the March 24th directive from the governor of Alaska that said you had to submit a plan to the state of Alaska if you were going to continue, if you're going to bring individuals up there on a fishing vessel. Um, and that plan then led to our testing. Um, and as Ann was already talking about with constraints-based, we started testing the fishing industry at the end of April. Uh, it wasn't until the night before that we knew we were going to actually have supplies available to do the testing that we were promising. Um, and of all the companies that followed the protocol that Ann worked with the industry to create, um, there was really only one company that didn't follow it. And they were really the only company that had mass outbreaks. So at least in the first phase of it, we weren't dealing much with it um, on, on board vessels. Now, later we started to get some and part of the protocols were how to isolate people, how to get them off the vessel once they came into a harbor and get them to some place where they could uh, be treated. Did I miss anything, Anne? Oh, you know, from an international standpoint, it's been very challenging, not because not with COVID outbreaks on board, but with inability to get people off for medical care at ports, um, because every port just shut down. And so you'd be normally you'd want to get somebody off to go see a doctor um, and that just wasn't allowed. So we really did have to change how we tried to deliver health care at sea. But this is what we do. Um, we are a company that's built for risk management and emergency response. So unlike almost any other company out there, we were uniquely suited to be able to do what we did. Um, and then it became also sort of a moral imperative and a social justice issue for us that we had to do this. I, I think that one of the things you said, I, I, I want to make sure the listeners picked up, I thought was really fascinating. You said that everyone didn't have a problem except for the one that didn't follow the protocols. Is that what I heard correctly? That is what you heard. <laughs> so I'm a big believer in cause and effect. And I think that's really fascinating of when when people did the right things, they had less, well, basically had effectively no to little risk. And then the, that that didn't follow it at all had significant, uh, well, had a real problems. And so that that's really interesting when it, it makes sense, right? It's completely logical, but it's fascinating how it actually played out. Um, that was an interesting time because no one knew. I mean, we were literally making this up based on what we thought was going to happen. We didn't have any guidance. The CDC hadn't come out with guidance. The national um, uh, uh, organizations hadn't come out with guidance. We literally were the tip of the spear here. And, you know, we were saying this is what we believe is right, but I couldn't prove it. So yeah. it, it's been yeah. an interesting well, and it was fun too when, especially that very first round of testing, we've determined that certainly in the United States, possibly in the world, we're one of the first companies to do systematic testing of asymptomatic people. Um, and that provided University of Washington with data in order to track the, how the disease progresses and how well their tests were working, yeah, we which is fascinating. To- we were able to document asymptomatic transmission in late April, and no one was talking about that. I remember that. And being a grad from the, you know, the University of Washington, I was following actually the information really closely. It was it, the Princess. Was that the ship that was in yeah, Japan? Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, it was so interesting because. I felt that, and I recall there was also a ship, a Navy ship that was, I think, out of Guam or something that that was and that was like the perfect test analysis right and validation of what happens when you're stuck on a boat 
and and there's a COVID outbreak, you know, and um, it, it, that practically what theoretically could happen if people are under the same constraints here, but you were actually dealing with it directly, you know, with with ships and and, and things of that nature. I my I, I also didn't mention my father was in the Merchant Marines, and um, I, I he's been long since retired, but I can't imagine once again being stuck on these ships that don't have a whole lot, right, and being not allowed into port because people are afraid of you bringing COVID right to their land. Um, what a what a terrible challenge. So let's talk about two elements because you have your core business and then you have this current COVID-19 business. So for COVID-19, um, how are you measuring success today? What 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 is something that's uh, that uh, is, is going to be what you consider successful? That's a great topic. And I'll kind of give my worldview and then Erin can give her worldview. Uh, this is obviously something that we're struggling with as a very rapidly growing company. I mean, we went from eight W2 employees a year ago to over 50 now. Uh, so it's, wow. just been, it's just been, you know, grabbing a rocket ship and hanging on. Um, and thank you. A big shout out to Terry. Uh, we got involved with him in April of 2020. And I remember um, sort of you know, railing against that, saying we're not big enough for this, we don't need this. But uh, you know, thank God, Aaron forced us to do that and get our um, get our our infrastructure in place for the rapid growth that that came. But that's the question we do. What we're dealing with right now is how do you measure success? Um, you know, again, we went to business school for a reason, so we have a strategy map, we have a balanced scorecard, um, we have our metrics. But that's what we're trying to figure out now is what can we realistically measure? What do we have the infrastructure to measure? What would require us to hire a team of people in order to be able to measure and how relevant are those metrics? So there's very hard metrics that we are um, we're deciding what the right ones are to follow. And then there's the soft metrics. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but but what is it? Why, why, do, you, why do you do this? You know, what is it that, that motivates you to put this amount of work in? Um, and I think both Aaron and I agree that what we've enjoyed the most over the past year is watching people grow, is bringing people in uh, in this sort of entry level opportunity and seeing you know what what sparks their interest and how can we grow them through the organization. Um, one of our big challenges a year ago was it was we were pretty lean and you know we just didn't have the resources to hire a lot. Um, but this year has has really brought us a huge talent pool. So once we get out of COVID and go forward, our, we have a wonderful team in place and I'm very excited to, to get them dealing with more long-term strategy issues. An unstoppable so, team, really. <laughs> but Aaron, is, you know, what, do you, what are your measures? What do you think about this? Well, I, well I'm surprised you didn't talk about uh, our experiences. One of the fellows at Seattle University's executive MBA program is um, Alan Mulally the former CEO of Ford and head of commercial airplanes at Boeing. And he developed the engineer that he is. He developed a very engineering type system to measure, to measure how well people are working together and how you're all aiming at one single goal in the end. Um, and we've been working very hard to translate our strategy map and translate all of the the both the concrete and the squishier things, you know, employee, employee retention is concrete, but it's also kind of squishy. You know, you want to know what's going on, whether, when they're here, whether they're happy, are they being developed? Are we putting the training in the right place? So we're kind of trying to build out those metrics right now. Um, it's working, I think. Well, it doesn't, it's not like you do it and you're done. I mean, again, yeah. you, there's, there's what you can measure, what you should measure and what's a meaningful measure. And that, that changes all the time. But yes, having a, having a, a structured discipline approach to it is, is really the key. 
And I remember, I remember uh, Alan saying that he's, you know, said people are successful because they measure everything. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. There's the, the book, you measure what matters. I have right behind me of doing John Doerr. <laughs> I, I, I think one of the things that you said that's so huge is understanding that you have to consistently look at the metrics to see what's changing and what's not changing. And, and, you know, w- w- um, Aaron, you had brought up one of our favorite books, The Goal, right, from, from mm-hmm. Goldratt and the theory of constraints and understanding that, you know, some measurements aren't even relevant sometimes, but when it becomes the bottleneck, it's the most important factor, right, you know, of understanding what that is and the challenge behind it. And, and I love it how you are looking at these different metrics. Do you talk about leading versus lagging indicators? Is that something that you, you consider? We do. Yeah. Yep. That, that is the... Um, what, what I mentioned, the 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 H, uh, sorry, the uh, Harvard Business Review studies, that's the key element behind it, is um, most organizations, about 80 to 90% of their metrics are all lagging. And the organizations that really figure out, they turn into 80 to 90% of their metrics are leading. And, and it's because they're controllable, right? These are the things right. that we can control day to day to actually have an impact in the outcome. And, and that's, that's the secret sauce. Um, of course, figure out what the right ones are is a challenge, right? And mm-hmm. it, it modifies and changes, especially when you have something so dynamic. That, that excellent answers, and I love it that um, you, you mentioned uh, Alan Mulally and his impact and how it had impact on you all uh, to help drive and do the right things. So, um, man, I wish. It. So let's talk about briefly that why, and then we're going to go into the personal side. Let's talk about the why part. That's such an important element, right? We why kind of we the organization existing, what is that big why that you found out, that vision and value that's driving you to put all the hard, hard, you know, long hours to get things done? Oh, that's a big question. Um, you know, it's, we talk about strategy maps and I remember in business school, just kind of being annoyed that the, the top metric was always a financial metric. And I'm like, does it really have to be? People are like, yes, Anne, you go to business school because you need a successful business. Um, so for a while, I, I fought against that. And our top metric was um, our uh, vessel medical officer satisfaction, because we believed if our vessel medical officers were happy, uh, then that meant that the, the crew member was happy, the company was happy, and our physicians and we were happy. Um, but again, it's a squishy metric to, to um, measure. And that was fine when we were small. And this is, you know, we were learning. But uh, now that we've grown into a real company, I, I understand why the, why the top metric has to be financial. <laughs> I mean, when you, you know, you're supporting a very enormous payroll, you really want to make sure that, that your cash flow is there. So uh, the why switches a lot. I mean, our core values are, are solid. We spent a lot of time, um, especially when we knew that Ray was sick, we spent a lot of time really understanding his, his view of the world um, and how, how those values mesh with our view of the world and what we wanted to accomplish. So having very clear core mission, vision, and values has been really helpful, especially as we grow fast and bring on new people, we can fairly rapidly uh, indoctrinate them into, into our corporate culture. Um, so for me, that's the why. I mean, this is, I was talking to Aaron sometime in COVID, and I was like, this is what we were put on earth to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it all kind of came together. The fact that Seattle was the epicenter of COVID, the fact that we, we had this great use case of the maritime industry, um, the fact that, you know, all of our relationships had just come together, we were in the right place at the right time. And I'm like, there's no question in my mind, this is, this is our mission. This is what we're here to do. Uh, so the why has never really been much of a question. Um, going forward, it's, I'm, I am honored and privileged to be in this position where we can actually make a difference in the world. And I don't really know what more in life you need more than that. So 
Erin? Saving the fishing industry. <laughs> I mean, I without the work that we, I mean, without the work that we that we did, that Discovery Health did, without the vision that Anne put in place with Ray, and um, without that, no kidding, I do not believe that there would have been a salmon fishing industry, a salmon industry, salmon season last year. Wow. Wow, that's, that's a that's, that's a huge. that's huge. That is absolutely huge. Um, for so many different reasons. Uh, I love it. I love how you've talked about this. I, we we're gonna do, we we. I wish we could have more time to di- dive in more, but we don't just due to the context. So we're gonna hit real quick on the the points on the personal side. Man, you guys are working like crazy right now. How, how are you getting? Um, how are you measuring success? How what? Well, let me clarify. What type of activities you're doing to help make sure you're keeping your energy going? on a day-to-day basis so you you don't burn out or you don't, you know, um, uh, you make sure you're focused on the right things from a personal perspective. You know, I think one of the, the, the legs up we had is that we were a virtual company to start with. So when COVID hit and everybody went uh, to telecommuting, it, it didn't change our, our business at all. Uh, so we've had very good communication um, uh, modalities in place and uh, our, we talk a lot. Um, so that's for me has really been my mental health is that uh, being able to talk to my team, um, being able to kind of get feedback, whatever I'm thinking of, uh, just having that 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 dialogue. And for what you know, Aaron and I are total opposites. It's wonderful, total opposite communication styles, personality, everything. And it just turned 100%. out when I was down, she was up. When she was down, I was up. Um, it 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 just worked out great in that response. So for me, it's the ability to have this dialogue. I, I'm going to reiterate that during graduate school, we had to take every freaking personality test that was out there. And we are literally polar opposites in every single one of them. Um, you know, if she's on the upper right hand corner, I'm on the lower left hand corner all the time. And it, it, it it's fantastic. I mean, having a, a really strong working relationship. I didn't. This is kind of off topic a little bit, but I didn't realize, you know, when you talk to these the C-suite individuals. I never really realized how special the relationship is between the CEO and her and her closest confidants. Um, it is a very particular relationship. And I think that Anne's right. A lot of our success is very dependent on our communication with each other and then with our larger leadership team as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a mess. You know, you're going to you're going to fight. You're going to argue. You're going to disagree. This is stressful, stressful things. You're dealing with people's lives and money and, uh, you know, just insanity. So the fact that we can disagree uh, in a respectful and uh, productive manner um, has been has been wonderful. You know, as our executive team grew, it's funny, we brought on two more people and they're they there's sort of an Aaron type personality and an Anne type personality and watching them that sort of fight and argue is, is, um, <laughs> it's been humble. fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that annoying? Yes, <laughs> well, Anne, and we don't I, really I, care. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, and I think I give you a lot of credit to bringing on and, and, and obviously you had the relationship back at Seattle university, but that you took on something that was so different because that's such an important part of leadership of, of, of trusting somebody who thinks completely different but understanding they're helping your own blind spots right in, in the areas where you're not your strengths and you're and you're heading in the right direction to that and also you know this is the all those ceos out there being the ceo is the loneliest position in a company um and and to have somebody you could trust like aaron to have be a confidant and to help know that go in the right direction you're you're fortunate because not 
all CEOs have that. And, and so that you mentioned that, I think that's a awesome insight, you know, behind uh, going through there. So we'll get to my last question. Um, I've loved this conversation that we've had. I like to ask about books and Anne, you were on, it's like, I don't have time to read books right now. But, but, um, but you've read a lot and there have been some significant ones in the past. Share with our audience a few books that you're just like, these are just books you have to read if you're being an entrepreneur and, and, and you're running a growing business. Yeah, you know, I want to come out with some great esoteric recommendation that makes me sound very intelligent. A lot, but uh, for me, <laughs> that's Erin's job. She's the philosophy major. Um, for me, it was really the core business school books, and they made sense. You know, uh, switch and getting to yes, and fierce conversations and fierce leadership. I mean, they're uh, American Icon uh, by Malali. It's like they're trying to tell you something, you know, the core tenets of how you run a business are fairly straightforward and immutable and how you manage people and manage change. There are techniques for that. So for me, it was those real core business school books that, that got my thinking along. These are, this is a solid backbone to run a business on. I didn't need anything new or special or fancy. I needed to learn the fundamentals of running a business. Yeah. And you that's did. awesome. And uh, you yeah, did. absolutely. Oh, well, I obviously, Gold Rat, I'm a huge critical chain and the goal, huge fan of those. Um, it was brain bending for me to understand that you could do con constraints-based management in a non-manufacturing setting. Mm -hmm. um, was, was hmm, light went off that day. Um, and then we were just talking earlier, uh, Anne already mentioned the fierce leadership and fierce conversations. But in addition to that, there's a leadership and self-deception that we both liked. And um, leadership on the line. Heifetz. Of course, yeah. Great suggestions. I love it. Um, so with that, uh, what's the best way that people could learn more about your organization and what you're doing? Uh, well, certainly our website. Um, so our, we that's actually probably one of the big strategy questions is what, you know, your website reflects who you are. You know, Malali always said, if you want to know what your priorities are, look at your calendar. Um, if you want to know what our priorities are, look at our website. And I, I was actually a little disappointed. I, I went on it and it was all about travel testing for COVID. And I couldn't even find our commercial maritime uh, um, section. So uh, please go to our website. It is uh, deep and complex, um, but it's funny how it changes, how our, uh, according to how our priorities change. So if uh, you're interested in COVID vaccination or testing, uh, our website has a lot of information. If you're interested in our um, Commercial maritime and occupational health solutions. You've got to dig a little bit further, but it is there. And what's the specific URL for that? Discoveryhealthmd.com. Thank you. Perfect. Well, uh, Anne and Eric, this has been a true pleasure. I know you're wildly busy, and to take a moment to share with the audience and, and to be on the Measure Success podcast has been absolutely brilliant. So, thank you so much for all of your insights and what you're doing to make a difference in the world. You, you're right. When you're find yourself in your sweet spot of getting there. Um, it's amazing. And, and so I congratulate you for getting to that point. And, and um, thank you so much to, for listening to Measure Sex Podcast. And we're wishing you, the audience, the very best at measuring your success. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.